Today's episode is sponsored by MilkiesFiberArts.com. MilkiesFiberArts.com has tools for weavers, spinners, felters, and lace makers. From looms to spindles and shuttles to fiber, view their offerings 24-7 on their extensive website, where they offer worldwide shipping. Visit them today at Milky's Fiber Arts. That's M I E L K E S FiberArts.com. Thanks, Milky's Fiber Arts. Now here's the show. Welcome to episode 64 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about creative retreats with my guest, Ali Dijon. Ali Dijon is constantly inspired by anything handmade, homemade, and everything cozy. The smallest, most meaningful moments in life are the most magical to her, and she feels really lucky to live in beautiful Boulder, Colorado with her husband and two young children. She started a creative retreat filled with a fabulous, changing variety of modern creative workshops called The Makery to give people the gift of uninterrupted creative time shared with a loving community that's often hard to carve out of our everyday lives. Ali Dijon, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show and talk about The Makery with you. What is The Makery? I know it's been described before as like a creative retreat for everyone or like a summer camp for adults, which just sounds sort of fabulous. And I just wanted to have you give us an overview of what the makery consists of. The makery is a creative escape, very similar to a summer camp for adults. It's a time to slow down and sneak away from everyday life where you can be with a like-minded creative community who loves to make things with their hands and the really amazing thing about that is when you're able to stop and slow down and use your hands, you reconnect with yourself in a really magical way. And you learn from renowned artists and designers, and we provide a changing variety of really interesting, creative, modern workshops. And they're designed to be approachable to anyone who wants to be creative or fill their life with more creativity. Okay, so you don't have to be an experienced artisan to come, but you could be. Absolutely. You know, we have had so many different types of attendees come, anywhere from somebody who has not done a lot of art but is just craving creativity in their life, or we've had many artists come who want to try a totally new medium. And so it's this beautiful mix of levels and skills and just the desire to be creative. And do most people kind of come alone or do they come like as a mother or daughter or like a group of friends? Like what kind of people are coming? All of the above. We have had people come alone, which is a really amazing experience for that type of person because they are able to really experience that weekend and that retreat in the way that they need to. So if they need to be more quiet and spend more time alone and being introspective, that works really well for that type of person. And then they're also able to connect with anyone from the retreat. And if it's somebody who's coming with a friend or it could be a mother-daughter, it's a wonderful time to connect 
through the handmaking process and just to step out of your everyday life and have a really special experience together. Yeah. So is it, it's a weekend, right? It's like a Thursday through Sunday. Is that usually how they run? They have varied, Abby. So we have done retreats from Thursday to Sunday. We've also done day retreats and we have also done two day retreats. So it just depends on the model and it depends on the partnership and it depends on where the event is held. Okay. So let's go back then to the beginning to how this whole thing got started and how you ended up um, founding the makery and becoming the person who puts this all together for people, because I think that path is sort of interesting. So what led you to start the makery? You were working previously in some uh, event planning and management for the uh, Chicago Marathon, I think, and for some other place as well. So was that part of this? And did you kind of take a break and have kids and then sort of re reshuffle and think about uh, starting something new? Yes, all of the above. So when I think back, really, to where the heart of where this all began, I go back to being a little girl, and I went to the most creative preschool. I grew up in San Diego, and I will never forget that experience. It was called the Children's School. And I think I was too young to realize then, but I knew in my heart that making things always fed my soul and took me to another place where everything felt calm and peaceful and the worries melted away. And I remember spending hours just getting lost and drawing pictures that were filled with the tiniest details and finding so much happiness in such a simple activity. And so fast forward a little bit to my career and I lived in Chicago and I worked for a small family owned event planning company. And so I was gaining experience in that world, being an event producer and being around the creativity that goes around putting together an event. So we did all types of corporate events and private events. And I loved the family I worked for. And I was also into marathon running. So I did a shift from that job and into the Chicago Marathon, where I worked for them for seven and a half years. And I loved that job so much. It was so fulfilling. We had a really small team. And one of my favorite parts of working for the marathon, and luckily my job at the time allowed me to stand near the finish line on race day. And so watching all these different walks of life come across the finish line was the most rewarding, rewarding moment or just pinnacle of working all year long on the race. And so just feeling like I had the tiniest part in helping someone else's dream come true was something I held on to. And so I never, never will forget that experience. And after I finished working for the marathon, I had had two babies and I straddled a little bit of that time working. And then when I had my daughter, I stopped working and I had always loved creativity, but having children, and I don't know if you felt this way too, because I know you are an incredibly creative person as well, but it inspires you and ignites even more creativity because I wanted to have the most creative home and I wanted to provide all types of creative, creative opportunities for my own children. And so I had always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and I was lucky enough to do so at that time, but I also started to really miss who I was as a career woman, 
And so I had these conflicting feelings of being so incredibly grateful that I was home with my kids, but also feeling like something was missing, like I needed something else to fulfill me as a whole person. And I started reading blogs and I saw this art workshop pop up on these various blogs I read and it was Squam. And I thought, well, gosh, maybe I could go. And then the other part of me said, well, Allie, you're not really a designer. You don't have an art degree. I don't know if you are really fit to go to something like this. And I don't know, something inside me just said, you have to go and try. And so during that time when I was waffling of even trying to go, I remember standing in my mom's kitchen and just bursting into tears. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I just, I don't know who I am anymore. And here I am. I feel so grateful that I have these two babies and that was my dream my whole life and I'm living it and I still need something more. And so I went to Squam and I was terrified because I didn't know anybody. And it was such an amazing experience because through taking the workshops and making things with my hands and feeling what that felt like to connect with who I was again, it was like this light bulb went off and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm still in there. I'm still me and I can still be a mom. And so I came home so fulfilled and so lifted and so happy and joyful that I told all my friends, you guys, I just went to the most wonderful thing. You have to come with me. I will find it in Colorado because that's my home. And there's got to be something like this where we live because it's so beautiful and so full of nature and health and all the things that I loved. And I told my friends to promise me that they would come if I would find it. So I searched and searched and I couldn't find anything like that or like I would want to go to in our hometown. And so I thought, well, maybe... I could start something like this. And it was funny because subconsciously when I was at the retreat, I started writing down all the things I loved and all the things that would have made it a more complete experience for me personally. And maybe it was my event planning background or, again, just some subconscious thing. I don't know. But um, I spent a year meeting with anyone who would listen to my idea And everybody gave me the green light and they said, you should do this. This is such a great idea. And at the end of the year, my husband said, either do it or I really don't want to hear about it anymore because (laughs) I was waffling so much with, I don't know, should I do this? Should I not? And at the end of the day, I think I had to come to the conclusion that I would rather try and fail than move on with my life and live with the what ifs. Right. So during that research year, you know, um, who did you meet with? Like, were it, was it, you know, people who you thought might actually pay to come to something like this? Was it, um, you know, possible venue, uh, places, you know, places that had a possible venue to offer or like, who, who are some of the people, like some of those meetings, what were, who were they with? So I was new to Boulder at the time and, The first person I met with was this amazing woman, Kristen. She still remains a very dear friend, and she is such a creative person. And she was starting a handmade market. And so she was one of the first people that I shared the idea with. And she didn't even know me. And 
again, I'm kind of shy. And so this was a big step for me to email or call somebody that I didn't know and say, I have this little idea. Can I share it with you? And so my friend Kristen said, yes, come over to my house. And she didn't even know me. And so I just went over to her house and we shared a cup of tea and I shared the idea with her and she just loved it. And she said, you should go meet with so-and-so. You should go tell them about this idea. And so it was just a trail of people in the creative community here in Boulder that had various jobs and various roles that would listen to my idea, which was amazing. And in that same time, I was traveling around Colorado searching for the right venue. So, I mean, I think that that year's worth of sort of legwork, both for you mentally to say, okay, I'm hearing people's reaction, I'm getting, gaining some confidence and like, am I really going to do this? But also just to gauge, like, is this even possible? You know, is this really even going to be something? Um, That's an important step. Um, you know, to talk to your constituents and get to know the area and figure to help you figure this out. Um, so yeah. it's yeah, it's one thing to go to Squam and have an awesome time, but it's totally another thing to start your own <laughs> creative retreat. Like that's another yeah. project entirely. So um, so you did those meetings, and then did you like incorporate? Was that the next step, or like what what happened next? Like after sort of gathering information, gathering and connecting with you know local constituents. Like what was the next piece? Well, finding the venue was key and securing that because for me personally, the venue really sets the stage for the feeling of the retreat. And so lucky for me, we have this beautiful Colorado Chautauqua that's right in Boulder and it is a magical place in and of itself. You're in Boulder, but you feel like you are so far away. And ironically, the history of the Chautauqua was a movement of art and music and lectures and lessons and classes and workshops. And we were really resurrecting this idea at an actual Chautauqua. So that was a really special special thing, not only for us, but for them. And so after we secured the venue and the date, I started calling teachers that I thought would make a really wonderful team. And just one thing led to another, but it was all happening at the same time because you have to get a website together and you need to create a marketing plan and you have to get the word out. And so it was a very, very intense year that I poured my heart and soul into. Um, and it was exciting and scary and all of that. Yeah, I bet. And so the teachers that um, that you started out with in that first year, and this was in 2011 or 10? 10. 10. Uh, no, sorry, 2011. 11. Okay. So, so the teachers who came, you know, and it was in the spring of 2011 to so that first retreat, um, were they local primarily or did you like fly people in? How did you figure out who you wanted to be sort of on the faculty? It was a really organic process. I think I had a couple of people that I had connected with either taking a workshop from or on the internet that I was drawn to. And so I, I didn't come at it saying I want somebody for this topic or and this topic and this topic. It was more who they were and looking at the mix as somebody said yes. So Lizzie House taught printmaking. And so I knew that I wouldn't get another printmaker. And Flora came and taught painting. That's so I knew Flora I had, Bully. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so 
and then Alessandra Cave came and taught photography. And so I would just reach out one by one and I couldn't believe people said yes. And then I thought, oh gosh, like this, this needs to be really great because all these amazing people are wanting to, to come and be part of this. And I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to give it my all and see how it goes. Um, and so what were like the, the biggest successes and the biggest surprises, like I'm sure you've done many of them, many makeries since that time. And so I'm sure when you look back at that first one, you have things that stand out to you as sort of like, ooh, that was, <laughs> you know, maybe a little surprising or, um, you know, or I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, that, that one thing really succeeded and I'm still really proud of it. So when you look back at it, uh, what do you say? One of the most pivotal moments for me that I'll never forget was at the end, Jenny Doe, who is just an amazing creative person, she was at the event and I asked her to lead the closing. And so she led this beautiful ceremony and had asked everyone at the end to say one word about what the weekend meant to them. And I think it was the first time during that whole experience of leading a retreat that I had stopped to think about how the experience was affecting people And so that was a really powerful moment for me to hear through tears of my own, but also other people who were there, what that weekend meant. And now you're in the sixth year of the makery. Is that right? That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, Do you know, like how many uh, events in total you've held? I mean, it must be quite a few. We've done 16 retreats. Wow. Wow. That's great. Congratulations. That's a lot of retreats. Yeah. Um, so uh, so when, when you're putting together a mix of teachers now, because I'm guessing some of the people who are listening to the show might be interested in potentially sort of becoming a teacher at either the makery or at another sort of, um, you know, creative retreat style event. And so what do you look for in a teacher and what do you look for in a workshop? Are there certain things that work well over the course of like a day long or two day long, you know, retreat style um, workshop? And so tell us a little bit about sort of how you structure that and what what stands out to you in, in a teacher. Well, First and foremost, we are open to any ideas and we're always looking for fresh ideas for workshops and classes. So all anybody would have to do would be to send an email and make it brief and show some images of what you make and a general idea. So we are just an open door. I want to start with that. But what we look for in a teacher is obviously an amazing artist who has a very special skill to share, but also a very nurturing person because like me, when I went to the retreat, I felt so nervous and unsure of my skills. And so having a nurturer and a teacher combined is a beautiful combination and I think creates an overall welcoming and lovely experience for a student. And so that's really important. And also to have a teacher really think through the process, given whatever time frame they will have to teach the class, and to be able to teach a somewhat wide variety of skill levels. Because even though we may say you need some basic crochet skills for this class, you still may get someone who has never crocheted. And so to have a skilled teacher who's able to kind of attend to that person, I think 
is really important. Right. So these are, you know, you should have some prior teaching experience, maybe locally or something like that, where you can, um, you know, sort of prove that you can handle a classroom full of adults who are working at different levels. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and obviously the space where the class is held can sometimes dictate what can be taught. For instance, we'd never teach a natural dyeing class in a historical building or we couldn't do an embroidery class in a space where the room was a little dark. So I think, you know, thinking through all those details matters in what we are able to offer at a given time or a given space. Right. Like if you're going to do letterpress, you have to have letterpress. So <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we actually, there's a, an amazing local letterpresser, Allie Bozeman, and she has Bird Dog Press, and she was able to come and bring her small presses at one of our workshops, which was really cool. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like it's important that a teacher have like an online following in order to pitch and, and get accepted by the makery? That is a really essential element for a teacher to have a big following because that attracts people to come to the retreat. And so that's definitely something we consider when choosing a teacher. Okay. So um, you're going to be looking at, you know, maybe their Instagram following or maybe Facebook or if they are a regular blogger or just some combination of that? Correct. All of the above. Okay. Because they're really like a marketing partner for you in a way. They so. are. I mean, we, we really look at these retreats as a team effort. And so everybody is part of the team and every, everybody contributes in sharing what they're doing and what we're doing. And now for a word about this episode's sponsor, Milky's Fiber Arts. Milky's Fiber Arts was started by sisters Andrea and Amy Milky in 1997 when Andrea was 20 and Amy was just 15. Located in the bucolic rolling hills of Mouston, Wisconsin, about 30 minutes northwest of the Wisconsin Dells, their brick and mortar shop is open by appointment. Stop in for one-on-one instruction or book a group class. If you're not local, Check out their online shop where you'll find a really impressive inventory of supplies and tools for all kinds of fiber arts, including weaving, spinning, felting, tatting, bobbin lace, and netting, plus tutorials, videos, and free patterns to get you started. One of their signature products is the Fiber Artist Bag of Candy, which contains over 50 colors of wool roving for $34. It's like a 17-ounce box of crayons for felters and spinners. Amy and Andrea ship anywhere in the world. Take a look at what they have to offer. You can't help but be inspired. Visit milkiesfiberarts.com. That's M-I-E-L-K-E-S fiberarts.com. Thank you, Milky's Fiber Arts. And now back to my conversation with Allie. Okay. Um, and I know you've had some big name um, teachers at times. Um, you mentioned Lizzie House. You mentioned um, Flora Boley, who has a really huge following as a painter. Um, and then Genevieve Gorder from HGTV, who's kind of a superstar. So I wonder, and maybe there's others that I just didn't even find when I was researching this, but um, sure. when you have someone who does have that kind of like really big following, um, does it kind of change the atmosphere at all? Like, how, how do you handle that? We have not found that at all. In fact, 
I think it's the opposite. I think we work really hard to create what feels more like a family during these retreats. And so these superstars are really everyday people too. And so they are craving connection and authenticity and quality conversation just as much as we are. And so I think it's really refreshing to be able to meet these amazing superstars who we all admire and look up to in such a natural, intimate setting where creativity is this beautiful conversation starter in a way. Yeah, I found that when you're sitting together and you're all, your hands are all busy and you're all working on something, um, you very quickly get to know people because I don't know why. It's sort of like you don't, it's, you don't, it takes away the awkwardness of like, I don't know you and I don't know if I should talk to you. Like everyone's just sitting and talking and looking at what they're making. And so everyone sort of gets comfortable quicker. You are so right, Abby. And that is one of the most beautiful things I find about a retreat is that you do, you get to know someone 50% quicker than you do in any other environment when you're sitting next to someone making something and sharing what you love. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really cool. And do you have a, a maximum number of participants for a, like a, a weekend long makery? They vary. For instance, we started doing these mini makeries, which we just did with Janine's Laticus in the fall. And we did one last fall with Adriana Torres of Mika de Pan from Buenos Aires. She's an amazing embroiderer. And so those retreats are three days. That has a maximum of 11 students for three days. And it's focused around one teacher. At some of our bigger retreats, we go up to about 100 Okay. And then there's just anywhere in between, and it's really dictated by the venue. Right. Okay. And then do people generally, I mean, again, it's going to be dictated by the venue, I guess, but do people sort of room together? Is that sort of the, the general way that this works? You know, you kind of have a roommate or several roommates? You can. And again, it just is based upon the venue. When we have done the retreats at Chautauqua, there are cabins that range from singletons to one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom. And so people can choose to share with whoever or no one. And when we did the retreat at Camp Wandawega with Land of Nod, those were pairs. So that retreat was designed for one parent and one child. So obviously they stayed together. But in some cases, the cabins were shared, so there might be three pairs in one cabin. And we'll talk a little bit about the Land of Nod partnership in a minute because I think that's really interesting. But um, you provide all the food and um, and that kind of thing. And is that hard to coordinate? Like, I mean, are, because I know people have, you know, food allergies and they have different restrictions. And so has that been challenging for you to sort of coordinate the food or do you just have, like hire a caterer and kind of hand it off to them? Well... We have hired caterers in the past, and we're very careful and thoughtful about people's dietary restrictions and needs because food is such a nourishing part of our life. And so for me personally, one of my values is healthy, clean eating. And so when we design our menus, I always keep that at the top of mind to provide healthy, nourishing meals throughout the retreat because I just feel like that helps feed the soul as well. And so it's really fun designing the menus because I think certain diet needs are so important for people to feel cared for. Right. And so and I think caterers now are so used to that that it's it's really 
not a problem. Right, right, right. And um, and then I know I know at Squam the the final day there, or maybe it's the night before. Um, there's a marketplace, so um, you know the people who are teaching are invited to um, sell their wares at this sort of handmade marketplace, and then also sometimes other people who might come in or live locally can come in and vend as well. And so is that part of the makery? We create a pop-up shop, and it is usually open at different times throughout the retreat. When we first started doing the makery, we partnered with Firefly Market, which was just starting out here. And so they brought in their market at the end of our event the first couple of years. But the pop-up shop now is a little bit simpler of a model so the teachers can sell their goods and a few select others and we run it for them so they don't have to spend their time and energy on that and focus more on teaching but then they're still able to share what they've made to the audience. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. I think a pop-up shop is a really good idea. I know I went to Craftcation, which is like a creative conference and business conference um, last spring, and they have a pop-up shop. Like that's very sounds very similar. Somebody else yeah. they run it for you. You can the teachers can have their things there, and then um, and it's nice. It, I think it worked out really well. So uh, let's so let's go back to that partnership you referred to with the Land of Nod and with some of the other partners that you've had. Um, you. Uh, have been able to kind of expand outside of Boulder, I feel like, because of these partnerships. And was the first one with Sweet Paul? It was, yes. And Sweet Paul is a beautiful magazine. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's unbelievably beautiful magazine. Um, Just totally gorgeous. It's like Martha Stewart, but like 1 million percent cooler and better. (laughs) Um, That's how I would describe it. It's just gorgeous food, gorgeous home, gorgeous everything. So how did you meet... Um, it's Paul and Paul, right? There's there's two Pauls. So so how did you meet the Pauls? Well, through two different ways. I initially, I believe, had a Twitter conversation with Paul and asked if Sweet Paul would ever be interested in teaching at the Makery. And simultaneously, I was introduced by Erin Goyuaga of the beautiful blog, Canel at Vanille, and she taught food styling at the Makery on two separate occasions, and she was having a connection with the Pauls, not only because she was featured in their magazine, but they were using the same publisher to write a book. Erin had written a book, and the the Pauls were just about to write a book. And so she shared what she was doing at the Makery and what she was teaching, and I happened to be going to Brooklyn to visit my little brother, which is where the Pauls are based. And they said, well, why don't we have a dinner together? And this was the really the second year of the Makery. And I couldn't believe they would even want to spend the time to have dinner with me. And I was really nervous. But I felt like during that dinner, we had a really wonderful conversation. And I was able to share in a really clear natural way what we were doing at the makery and they were really excited about it and they said well maybe one day we could do something together so let's just keep in touch but right now is not the time we're writing a book we're really busy with a bunch of other projects but let's just see what happens and then about a year later they got in touch and said I think we're ready to try to do something we'd like to do an event we'd like to do it in New York City and what do you think and so we went for it, and we 
brought their magazine to life in a really beautiful way. And they were so excited about basically stepping into the magazine live. So we took the recipes that he features and infused those into our meals. And we chose teachers by who was featured and who they were featuring. And so it was just this really wonderful marriage of their vision of their magazine and the model that we had created and created this live experience in a loft in New York City. That's amazing. And um, well, a few questions. So first, um, I know you have little kids and I have little kids too. And um, I often get asked to travel places and teach and lecture and do all different kinds of really cool things that I want to do. But I, I often end up having to say like in this season of my life, I can only do so much. So I can maybe go one place, but I can't go to like five places. So I have to pick. Um, So I wondered, was it at all like stressful for you when you thought, oh my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity to go and do this. It's like a once in a lifetime, you know, partnership for the makery, for me, for all the people who are going to come. But at the same time, I'm going to have to be in New York, like a bunch, you know? So I just, as a mom, I wonder how you felt about that. You know, I think I feel very similar to how you do in that even leaving for a couple of days, I think the work leading up to leaving and making sure home is organized and the kids have what they need and everybody knows where they're supposed to be and all the things they need to have is more work than actually probably going and doing the event. Um, But I think we have our model pretty clear. And so it wasn't a bunch of trips to New York. It was one trip for a site visit And then it was back for the event. And so I think the way we all communicate, it's it can be done that way. And so it didn't require a lot of trips back and forth to New York. That's good. And also the Pauls are there. And they are used to, you know, producing something massive and creative, not this, but organizing, you know. So they have that, they have those resources and connections and things locally. So having that local partner, I'm guessing, was really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so have you continued with Sweet Paul Makeries? I mean, have there been other ones beyond that first year? Yes. So we did a Sweet Paul Makery last year in Philadelphia. One day was at Terrain and the other day was at Urban, which is the parent company for Anthropology, Terrain, Free People, Beholden, and Urban Outfitters. And that was a really, really cool amazing experience that was in a beautiful location and we got to be in terrain which was garden inspired and then go to more of the urban setting at urban and I mean as you know those brands are just some of the most creative out there so it's just just inspiring just to be in that space and so that was incredible and this year we are doing another sweet palm makery it's going to be at urban which is just an awesome, incredible, beyond your imagination place. And so it feels really neat to get a sneak peek into, you know, the behind the scenes of that brand. Okay. And so when when you say it's at Urban, it's like at their corporate headquarters? Yes. It's at the Navy Yard, which is in Philadelphia. And they converted an old Navy Yard into their offices. So each brand has a building and... Urban, which is where we'll be, is the parent of all those companies. Okay. And so they have workshop space there for, you know, the attendees to 
do the classes and to eat and to do all of that stuff. They do. They have an incredible on-site catering facility. And I'm a huge fan of Whole Foods, but I have to say their plethora of healthy, vegan, gluten-free, any vegetable is like 10 times beyond the Whole Foods prepared bar. Um, I guess that's how I describe it because it's just amazingly delicious and healthy at the same time. Cool. Yeah. It seems to me like the brand, it's like interesting to partner with these brands because that's, you know, when I think it's of Squam, right? Like the origin of sort of the seed of the idea of a creative retreat, it's really different from doing these events with, you know, Sweet Paul and with um, uh, other brands as well. And I, I wonder sort of, I think it's a great partnership and I wonder what the brand gets, you know what I mean? So I, I can totally see sort of what the makery participants get from doing, from, you know, being able to visit these headquarters and see what it's like. I mean, I would love to go and see what it's like behind the scenes at at Urban. And um, that sounds so interesting to me. And so, but what do you think that the brand gets from be, you know, from doing, you know, because if it's, if there's 50 people or even a hundred people, that's not, you know, that's not like the millions of people they're reaching online, right? Sure. That That's an intimate, you know, family kind of thing with 50 people. So what are they getting? So the brand gets to bring their vision to life in this live experience. And I think what it does is it relates people to the brand in a way that you couldn't do any other way. So people are left with a feeling of connection and creativity and inspiration and fulfillment that is all tied back to the brand at the heart. Okay. And so it's worth it to them to have just that small number of people have that feeling. I'm assuming they they probably get like some photo permission so they can take photos and use those like on Instagram and that sort of thing or in promo, you know, materials like later on. Well, absolutely. I think there's a a huge social media component to it that they're able to share visually what it would be like to step into a brand. Right. And so they're getting that too. And that is reaching their, you know, millions of followers. Right. And so they have the participants sort of represent the public in that way. It's like almost like a, yeah, like a representative person, like a regular yes. person. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so fascinating. <laughs> I, I love like, yeah, the interplay here between, especially between Instagram and the in-person event and the brand and the makery is just fascinating. So um, that that is really cool. So tell us a little bit about the, I think the latest one maybe is a little bit of a different model because you're inviting children to be part of the mix. And that is with the Land of Nod. Correct. So we did a retreat in August with the Land of Nod. And the way that that partnership and that event came to life was from Michelle Cohanzo, who is their CEO. And she attended the Sweet Paul Makery in New York as a participant. And she was so inspired and filled up that she got in touch after that event and said, would you like to create a makery with us? And I said, absolutely. That would be amazing. And so we worked together to create an experience that was designed for both parents and children. And it was for one pair. So one adult and one child. 
And it was held at the amazing Camp Wandawega in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. That is just in and of itself an incredible venue where it's like you're stepping back into time and just really simplifying your life and going back to the basics. And their tagline is to disconnect so you can reconnect. And that's really the heart of what the makery means to me. And Land of Nod shares that value as well. So tell me what makes for a good partnership. We partner with companies that are really excited about bringing their brand and products to life through an intimate creative experience and who value authentic in-person connections. In this highly digital age that we're all living in, having one-on-one interactions with each other are becoming more and more valuable. And it's a really special opportunity for a company to connect in this way with its customers and followers and brand loyalists. And are you still really committed to having these independent, the makery, sort of the origin one? Like, are you still committed to doing those? Or are you more leaning toward doing the brand-based partnership events? You know, I wish I had a great answer for that. And I think it just depends on how these partnerships shape up moving forward. There's a couple really exciting opportunities that may happen in 2017 And if those happen, I don't know if we'll have the capacity to continue to do our own bigger events. But one thing that we have held on to in Boulder that we started a couple years ago are the mini makeries. And those have been wonderful. And it's centered around one artist, and it's only 11 students, and it's three days, and it's held at a beautiful, beautiful home studio, At Hand Studio. And so I have a couple of amazing people in the docket to do a couple more of those this year. And that's something of our own is just all the makery and it's here in Boulder and I can choose any food vendor I want. It's just complete freedom, which is something that I love to keep in the mix. Right. It's so interesting to see how it evolved from the original seed and then with success comes new opportunity and then you have to sort of steer the ship, you know, and decide like, yes, I want to do this. Yes, I'll do that one. This this is what I can still do, what I still have the capacity, bandwidth to do because it's you and just one other assistant. Is that right? Correct. It is right now. Right. So you're sort of making the yes and no decisions as you know, because you do produce a beautiful event and it's successful. People come, word spreads, and then new opportunities come your way and you have to figure out, well, what do we want to do next? Right. And I'm sure it's the same with you too. Being a mom and trying to juggle life and still follow this incredible passion, but also make sure that you're being present with your family and making time for your spouse or a partner and friends. And so I think we all are faced with thoughtful decisions that we need to make as our businesses grow and move in new directions. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit um, about family. So um, your kids, how old are your kids? Are they in school now? They, we are. They are nine and eleven. They okay, just, and I have a nine and eleven year old as well. But I also, have a, I also have a five year old. So I, oh my gosh. I started all over. I don't know, but um, yeah. I mean, she's awesome. But like, you start all over when you haven't started, right? But, um, so, so you have a little bit more time. I'm thinking now, but um, 
you know, how, what is your typical day? Like it's a random, you know, Tuesday. Um, and so just tell us briefly sort of what that day looks like for you when it comes to work and family. Well, I wish there was a typical day. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you do too. Um, well, my best days start when I exercise. So whether that means a run with my friends or a yoga class or I do an online class at home called Bar 3. It's sort of a combination of yoga, Pilates, and light handheld weights. But for me, just getting up and moving my body really helps set a great tone for the day. And, you know, we do the morning routine. I drop my kids off at school. Depending on the day, I will go straight into work. And, and do you have a studio or office space outside of home? I don't. I wish I did. Okay. So you come straight into work, meaning go straight back home. Straight back home. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Or occasionally I'll go to different coffee shops and whatnot just to get a change of scenery. But the work for any particular day really depends on where we are in the cycle of a retreat planning process. So it could be we're getting ready to launch a retreat, and that's a pretty intense time gathering all the details that we need. Or it could be close to a retreat where we're just doing a lot of juggling of last-minute details and logistics. Or it could be even just planning for a new partnership. So all of that just really depends on and kind of where we are. Does your assistant come to your house, or does she work virtually? She works virtually. Okay. Okay. But she's an older too. Okay, so she's just working from her house and you're working from yours. I see. And so yeah. she's is she like a contractor or is she actually an employee? She's a contractor. Okay, great. That's what I need. Okay, I'm going to find yes. myself one. I- <laughs> she's terrific. Her name is Krissa. Oh, I need a Krissa. Okay, that's awesome. You do, you do. Uh, all right, so, so you work, you know, your kids are ending school and you're there to go pick them up. Correct. Yes, we don't have a nanny and so... I will pick them up, and we have a pretty short day where they're at right now. So they get out of school at 2.30, and then we come home. We have a snack. We do activities, homework, and dinner time. And then usually after I put the kids to bed, then I'll go back to my work if I need to. But lately I've been trying to make a really big effort to get in bed early if I had my choice, Abby, I'd be in bed by 8.30. Oh I think that's, that's before my children. <laughs> uh, I, if I am lucky, because I, I, my day is very similar to yours. And I um, last night, it was 11.30 before I got in bed. And it's awful. I love sleeping. So, I And with kids, you're all, I mean, you know, I was up at 6.10. So right. you don't have a choice. Um, yeah, I, I need to get to bed earlier. Okay. I think if I get that, that assistant, then life will smooth out a little yes. bit. <laughs> all right. 2016. That's the goal. But um, all right. Cool. So let's let's talk a little bit about your recommendations because I know people um, love to hear recommendations and I love your recommendations. So you wanted to talk first about an awesome magazine, which I also love, called Flow. Yes. So I subscribe to Flow magazine and it is just this incredible magazine out of the Netherlands that not only celebrates creativity, but also mindfulness and imperfection and spirituality. And I just devour every word in that magazine. So that's definitely one of my recommendations. I also love Brene Brown. She writes such inspiring books about being enough and letting go of your perfection and just 
celebrating being a whole person and creativity is a big cornerstone for her and from her point of view in terms of feeling like a wholehearted person and I just admire her work so much. And you recommend one of her books. Is it Rising Strong? Yes. I actually recommend all of them. You know, her first book was The Gifts of Imperfection, and Rising Strong is her latest. Okay. It's really empowering. Sounds good. Okay. And um, and then you also wanted to recommend um, a weaver, and I haven't checked out her work yet. Her name is Sarah Newbert. Yes. She is from Fort Collins, and... I just took a weaving class from her, and it was awesome. And she has an incredible eye for weaving design, a gift for teaching, and she's just one of those up-and-coming rising stars in the weaving world. So definitely check her out. Yeah, I'm looking at her work online right now, and it's totally beautiful and modern. And I feel like yeah. weaving is back in like a really big way. It's fascinating. It is. Like it I, is. I, I know that my parents had like weavings from maybe the 70s, 60s in our basement when I was growing up. And like now that's they're totally like gorgeous again. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I know. It's a, it's a pretty neat thing to see. It is. They've been like reimagined and reinvented and um, I love it. And I, I want to um, take a weaving workshop because I think that would be so fun. Yeah. Yes, so, you so cool. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Allie, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. It was just really great talking with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor, Abby. Yeah. And where can people, um, you know, connect with the Makery Online? Where are your favorite spots? Uh, Instagram is probably the place we post the most. So just the makery and our website, themakery.com. All right, cool. So um, thank you so much, Allie. And um, you've been listening to the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. I invite you to visit my blog, whilesheenaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter and get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And thank you to today's sponsor, Milky's Fiber Arts. Milky's Fiber Arts has fibers for felters and a wide range of colors. The solid color merino line has over 70 colors alone. Never felt it before? Visit their website for their popular felted soap tutorial, an easy place to start. Felted soaps are like a washcloth and soap rolled up into one and make excellent gifts. Visit them online at milkysfiberarts.com. And if you enjoyed the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time. 